1: This man has just entered the gas price madness zone, pushed over the edge by skyrocketing gas prices. The remedy? Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy.
2: Hey, wait a minute. Did you just say there's a free app I can get that'll actually pay me cash back on every gallon of gas I buy?
1: Yes. Escape the gas price madness zone with the Upside app and earn real cash back on every gallon of gas you buy.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough of the theatrics. Just tell me more about this Upside app.
1: Okay, it's super easy. Just download the free app and use it whenever you buy gas. Upside users can earn hundreds of dollars
2: in cash back. Wow, thanks, announcer guy. I'm downloading the Upside app now.
3: Download the free upside app to earn real cash back. Every time you buy gas, use promo code minute for an extra 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first fill up. You can cash out anytime. Just download the free upside app and use promo code minute for a 25 cents per gallon or more bonus on your first tank.
0: Hello, listeners. This is Jim the Keys Bartender. How are you today? Well, I can rarely say this, but it I, as of the recording, in a little over one o'clock, about a quarter after one, and uh, 1 evening, I go to work in about two hours and 45 minutes. I was up in Miami with my wife, and she gave me, I asked her if I could talk about what's been going on the last uh, six months. She had a lump in her breast, small lump. Um we didn't know exactly what it was. We you know we're going we obviously we're we're getting it checked out and uh we had to take care care of. It's cleaned out. Uh we're just doing some I, I guess the way I would do it in layman's terms is a mop up exercise. They took the lump out. It looks like they got everything out, they checked the lymph nodes, they took those uh one or two out, checked those, they were clean. Now she has to do a little mop up meaning. They got it just in case and these cells got loose. They're going to do a uh, little radiation, and uh, so we were the last couple weeks we were running up to, or the last three weeks running up to Miami. Uh, well, for one well. Actually, been a, about a month and a half. She had the lump taken out, and then she had the lump back to me, and then we had uh, other, uh, you know, con- consultation with the oncologist. The um, uh, radiologist and the surgeon. So we went all those things. And the last time we went up on a Monday, we came back during rush hour, which is very tense. And plus it was, we were still getting the nomenclature down on what was going to proceed. And we're just learning, you know, we're in the process of learning what's going on, what's the treatment program and all that stuff. And it's the, the prognosis, uh, wasn't bad in the beginning and it was it sounded really good after the lumpectomy but right after that which is when they move removed the lump from the breast uh, it started backtracking because of all the other things that had to be done that we weren't necessarily if, if we were told then we did not really pay attention in the first couple kind of uh, consultations she had there was a uh, they didn't have me going because they were had COVID restrictions. They're trying to do one person, but I should have came. I should have went right in with her instead of waiting outside. I should have insisted. And they would have, would have been no problem. We didn't know what the barriers were. Meaning I thought I said, you only let that person in and they, you know, so I've, you know, the last three or four, I've been there so we can both have our ears in the conversation and listen to the questions. So last Monday, this past Monday, we were getting uh, some news, and it was a little tense. It wasn't bad news, but it was we were just hearing new benchmarks we needed to reach. And uh, now, with this meeting today, it, it's greatly reduced. But Monday when we're coming back, it was rush hour, and you get back, your shoulders are tense and everything. Today. We went after rush hour in the beginning of the morning. After we left around eight o'clock, so when we went up to Miami, it was already the the, the traffic was already on the downward trend. and we got up there to the hospital, and we'd been there. We knew how to navigate, where to park, and do all that stuff. We're getting to be used to that, and everyone, you know, we're getting we we had the thing, and everyone was so nice. And they have a, we went to in the Baptist system, so. Uh, I don't know what the other hospitals are like, but they have a nice little cafeteria, cafe where you can get coffees and stuff like that. And you see the people and They have in the main lobby of the cancer center, they have, sometimes they have a flutist, they have a um, a grand piano there. And while we're waiting, you can hear, because it's an open center, so it goes up how many uh, floors there are. But the piano player is on the first floor, and you know, just playing piano for like, we're listening to that for a half hour. It's very relaxing. And uh, on the way back, you know, there was very little traffic. Um, and there was one thing that was kind of dis- discerning, disconcerting, disconcerting, but it had nothing to do with the medical thing or traffic or things like that. There was a dog. It was all the way on the right-hand side we were I was three lanes in and we passed the dog going one direction on Route 1. And it looked like it was abandoned by someone. And that happens a lot. Happens a lot. I haven't seen those too often in other places, but in in uh, Florida, I've seen it more often. It's a sad thing. But there's so many people down here that are pet lovers that um, I I put my trust in the faith in people, knowing that they're, someone's going to pick up that dog. So we just came back. It's a rainy day. We just, uh, it's going to, we're expecting a nice weekend at work at the restaurant. We had a, a slow, a slow week. It was a little better yesterday. And an interesting thing, on a previous episode, I may have mentioned that I was concerned about my memory, how my memory was affected. Perhaps I had COVID and the effects of long COVID would be that my memories uh, not quite what it once was. I mentioned that sometimes people come in come in, and uh, I, I remember knowing them. I just don't remember the last time I saw them. Some people we had people come in and they said, yeah, ha- we haven't seen you in a year and a half. And I said, wow, it just seemed like a couple months ago. That's why I don't make it like a good reception, a big reception for them. And they go, well, you know, I expect a little more. I haven't seen you in 18 months. And I thought they were some of the side effects that, not that I've ever manifested, I never tested positive for COVID, but I just assumed since I was a bartender, I, I was infected. And, um, uh, <clears throat> It doesn't seem to be the case because there was a couple people that came in I haven't seen in like three, four years. There was a gentleman, I just remembered his name, Joe, and he moved away four years prior. And he came walking in uh, a couple months ago, maybe last month, the beginning of last month, and in in April. And I said, Joe, I haven't seen him. He says, oh, it's been four years. You still remember? Of course I remember. So the guy looked the same. And then Wednesday... A friend, Mike, from Canada. He comes in. a matter of fact, there was a gentleman at the bar saying he was meeting Mike. You know, Mike from Canada, blah, 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 blah. And I go, Mike from Canada? I said, Big Mike? And he goes, yeah, yeah. And I said, where would you meet me, Big Mike? He says, here. And I said, okay. Well, Mike comes in for at least a week or two, once or twice a year, more like twice a year. And he stays at one hotel across the street from the restaurant. And he goes out fishing all day. And then he comes over to the restaurant and eats dinner and hangs out for like two, three hours and talks to people there. And uh, he'll be there tonight. He'll be there tomorrow. It's just kind of nice to see people come back and be able to, you know, go over what their experiences were during this same shared experience. And that's probably one of the benefits of being, uh, one of the major benefits of being a bartender is you get to run into people and you get to be a touchstone for them. So when they come in, uh, there could be new people there. I've been there almost eight years. I think about eight years. If I'm not correct, it's 2015. Yeah, 2015, 2014, almost eight years. This this August. And there's a whole bunch of servers and uh, there's virtually no floor staff left from uh, eight years ago. But I've been there and so have the owners and so has uh, Luis, our main cook. And Mary, and Mari, they call Mari, but Maria, uh, she's a a food runner at our place. So there's the five of us that are there. And so when people come in, they like seeing the same people. And that's one of the draws. That's one of the the things that keep a place, the continuity going. And you need continuity in places like restaurants and inns and things like that. People come in, they want to see a familiar face. They want to share a familiar experience. Sometimes... I can get, and this is, I know it's not a COVID thing, I get confused between how I know the people. I'm thinking, do I know you from a regular here or do I know you from a regular from the gym I work at slash hospital because the gym's in the hospital that's open to the public? Or do I know you from Rotary or Chamber of Commerce or talking to you in the neighborhood? And that's the only other thing. But when there's people, vacationers, tourists that come in, they, like, they really like to see that person they like to see that smile now it would probably be better if I, you know, I had one of those uh, total recall memories and I can go Gladys, Tom that doesn't always happen but I do recognize people and I try to be the same try to be the same and that will be the subject for our next one uh, because of the title of the show. If you're if you're listening to the show right now, you saw the title, Jim is a hypocrite. But that's a self-diagnosis. I'm calling myself a hypocrite. Uh, and uh, hypocrisy is the I mean the definition of it. Hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. So. I spout a lot, and I've done it. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things you can see. You can go back. I I put it on the line, and I do admit to short these shortfalls. And uh, last night, one of the shortfalls is, for me, uh, I, I had a very vivid dream. And upon other ones, I'm very dramatic when it comes to Sometimes, when I'm tired, and I'm, now I'm trying to make excuses, sometimes I'm very dramatic about my situation, whatever I'm experiencing. I will behave as if whatever's occurring is an outrage, and how can you be doing it? If you do it to me, you do it to someone else, blah, 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 or something like that. But in the dream, I was on a cruise with my family. Uh, my father... I think my brother was there and that. And during the, the check-in proce- process for cruises, if you ever never been on one, they have different criteria for boarding. They may have it alphabetical and they may have it by the kind of staterooms, which floor you're on, on the ship. And you have procedures on dropping off luggage and things like that. Get your your tickets and your passes. Not necessarily your tickets, your passes that you get, identification that you have. So, uh, in the dream, everything was more convoluted, more difficult. And it was confusion in the directions. There were very busy areas that were... It was in a mall, actually. It was in kind of a mall setting with different stores and you were trying to figure out where you're supposed to go to check in. And I'm begging for help, almost crying for help with my wife. And I'm like, oh, I can't figure this out. I'm being confused. And, I mean, a lot of us, you know, if someone, your dream interpreter, you might say, well, Jim, you're just, you're, you're probably manifesting something about the treatment for cancer and how convoluted you may think that is and how confusing that may be. That may be the case. But the thing that affected me most was my reaction in the dream. Was my reaction in the dream. And I'm thinking, my reaction, and the way I feel about that, is uh, your behavior is almost... Always, your judgments and all that is true to form. How you would feel about the things you do in your dream. The things you do. Not necessarily what other people do. Because you really can't be in a dream. You're not in someone else's mind. You're in your own. You're manifesting your own decisions, your own emotions, and things like that. That is my belief. And I could be wrong. But I was ashamed of my behavior. I said, "Wow, that must be me," and I knew that, and it kind of felt real. I didn't feel like I'm creating a belief that I'm overly dramatic. You know, I'm overly dramatic. You see the first episode I think of my podcast, episode one or two, is uh, blue cheese olives, like getting pissed off about people asking for blue cheese olives. That's an overly dramatic. And then small. Reaction, but an overly dramatic reaction to a commonplace thing. You know, someone asking for something. Or get, being an overreactor. And I pretend to be calm sometimes. I pretend, I act as if I'm a calm person. I ask, how would a calm person behave? How would a relaxed person behave and try to be that? On one of my favorite shows, um, The Office, I mean, it's no longer, they're no longer making episodes, but The Office, one of the characters, Dwight Schrute, who was a very unusual character. Uh, He was a paper salesman that had a working beet farm, beet, B-E-E-T, and he was, uh, raised Pennsylvania Dutch, and he was very, he had a very weird set of beliefs and processes. But one of his things, his suggestion was I think about what an idiot would do, and then I don't do that thing. <laughs> or would it, it could have been Michael Scott, who is also one of my other favorite characters, too. He was the boss. And so I tried to pretend, what would a, a wise person do? What would a calm person do? What would a brave person do? And try not to do, the, I mean, try to do those things, the opposite of the other. What would an overly dramatic person do? Maybe I should think that. What would an overly dramatic person do in this incidents And try not to do that thing instead of thinking what would a wise person do try to do try to not do the overly dramatic practice uh, i think the practice we call stoicism stoicism s t o i c i s m a, a stoicism is an ancient greek belief in how to behave The whole system of thought and it's kind of a more rigorous opposed to a Epicurean belief system where you're trying to experience all these different pleasures. Stoicism is is not necessarily denial, but trying to reduce your reaction. I have to read up further on that, but I know that the general belief of stoicism does not include being dramatic. So, I'm endeavoring to do that more and more. And I noticed that when we were coming back on Monday from the, uh, Miami, I was hungry. And whenever I'm hungry, I'm looking for a restaurant. I think I explained in that episode, I was getting pissy. And people were aggressive on the roads and things like that. But whenever I'm hung- hungry, I always think that I evolved an adrenaline rush that you get when you're hungry, when you need food. Like a biological response, and the bio, my biological response is being flooded with uh, adrenaline because I guess when you are ancient man, they'd have to go and prehistoric man have to go and hunt and get their food, so they have to provide enough energy and to to be able to do the thing and violence because hunting was violent back then. I mean, you don't really have to be violent to harvest uh, uh, corn or wheat but you do need not that they cultivated it there 10,000 years ago but the um, being able to hunt an animal you have to be aggressive and uh, I always thought that when I'm get, when to get hungry I'm at I'm usually at my worst and yesterday I I tr- always think about that what how many calories do I need to be pleasant at the end of the night how many? That's that's my. That's I know how my body works, and if I'm hungry, that's the thing. Now I can't eat a big bowl of pasta, and expect to be not be tired either. So I got to balance it. Then, you know, I need a certain amount of calories and do this. I'm not worried about my weight so much anymore, but it's about more energy level, and I don't want to be tired either. So I got things I need to do at the end of the night, so I can be. So I can maintain a modicum of sociability, not act like a berserker or a raiding viking ready to kill everyone or behave as if I am going to do that. So I realize that, that that's been around for a while, the knowledge of you know, when there's a calorie deficiency, I'm not going to be at my best. I knew that for a long time. I think that really presented itself more, especially when I'm not drinking, because the drink I was getting calories from drinking. You know, just a couple of glasses of bourbon, I got you know four, five hundred calories, and maybe that it, it acts as a suppressant too. So I'm not as hungry when I'm drinking, or I, I some some ways to get a little hungrier, but. There you go. Lastly, what I wanted to talk to you about was the eternal cultural clash, you know, cultural clash or power struggle between, let's say, adults and teenagers or in preteens. Humans moving out of their adolescent, for some reason, find great pleasure. In trying to outrage older people, their parents, or the people in authority. And it seems like whatever they can do to make parents scratch their heads, question their beliefs, or whatever thing surprise them. So they could not be predictable. Children do not like to uh, be predictable, saying this is what you always do. They don't, they don't like that. They don't want to know. They don't want to know that, you know, on Sunday nights they got to eat macaroni, cheese, and chicken all the time. Sometimes. Sometimes they do. You know, if they have the freedom of choice when it comes to their food, much like our house. So, I had a conversation with the wife. And she converted with the daughter. At her high school, there's been a lot of altercations, fights, and weirdly they're between girls and they're fighting girls are fighting each other another one recently this is a very good uh, public high school in the the Florida Keys I mean that's the it's the only school the high school in the upper keys until you go about 40 miles south and gosh about the same distance north it's the only high school in town, the only opera, you know, the only show. So, and it's, it, it does well. It sends a high percentage of its, of its students, graduates, to college. Matter of fact, it's more of the exception rather than the rule. Most, almost all of them go to college. And the parents participate, very active, and things like that. But this year, this year, I don't know much how bad it was the year before because my daughter was in eighth grade the year before there seems to be a lot of unrest there altercations fights and one of them involved a student who uh, a male student who beat a female student his girl he was in a relationship with got arrested for that and um and i did mention women attacking women and you know quickly there were a lot of people that automatically i don't know if it's warranted or unwarranted but they came to the defense of the male the boy saying well she egged him on she egged him on well if you're attacking someone weaker than you then you have a responsibility to not physically hit someone that's your responsibility You can always walk away. You can always do something. You can avoid it and stuff like that. Yes. Unless you're trapped, obviously. But there's still no, there's not a recourse for beating a weaker person. I mean, I understand defense and stuff. This was, and so people say, well, she brought it on. Bringing something on is not like she attacked him and he had to defend himself. They're saying that she instigated the attack. And that's almost like blaming the victim. But that's not the, the show's not about this. It's about people being uh, trying to be outrageous or controversial. In the forties, it was. I'm sure there was a whole bunch of you know different lingo they used. Swing dancing when guys were picking up girls and throwing them over their hips and on the side, and the girls' skirts going up. You see their panties and stuff like that, which was a big deal in the forties. And then fifties came around, and they, all, they develop a different lingo, how to talk. What was it they use here? They use swall or something. They, whatever word they use. They want to make a new word to describe something that already exists, like stylish. Don't make another thing word for stylish. Every generation, posh, cool, neato, uh, swall, another one, bad, bad, you oh, bad, bad. Uh, whatever. Whatever language they use to refer to something that's unique to them. So they want to have their own lingo, so you don't you can't really converse in their lingo. Well you shouldn't try. Shouldn't try. But they're incorporating right now, they were incorporating this is and I strongly urge people that aren't into vulgar on vulgarity to not listen anymore. And that goes for you, Dad, or anybody that doesn't like to hear the conversation is going to come up and I'll tell you, there's going to be some of you that's not going to like the conversations going up, but these are things that were said. So according to reports, now let me explain. Whatever was said was outrageous and vulgar. Now, I don't know if it was presented in the same way, but for the young girl who got, um, beaten up by her male friend or boyfriend. Uh, Supposedly, there were two girls that there was a another altercation that preceded the attack. And they're trying to say, what did the altercation involve? And according to reports from from the courthouse and from the children. What was said, and one of them is a representative from Monroe County Sheriff's Department Right. I'm not going to say who it is. I'm not going to say how I got it. But it's about... Okay, so now's the time to turn off if you're easily offended. They said they were arguing about queefing. Queefing. Q-U-I-F-F-I-N-G. A queef. Q-U-I-F. That existed at least 30 years. I think since I was a senior. Probably further. It was probably even further back. But it's when... Uh, a queef is a sound a vagina makes when air is trapped in it and it, it escapes under pressure, much like flatulence or a fart. So, a queef is the vagina equivalent of a fart. Uh huh. And the girl said they were arguing about that, how the guy is attracted to her queef. Now, I think they're referring to something else maybe retasking the word to something else or they're making it up because that's like a what would you call it it's not a uh, it's being used in conversation now like guys are interested in it but i can't believe it's a universal thing i'm sure there's there's always a small minority of people who like certain things, like small minority people that like feet, that get turned on by stuffed animals and things like that. Yes, I acknowledge that. But saying the generalization that this is what guys like. No, guys generally like more majority things. And and when I'm talking about guys, I'm talking about heterosexual guys. Because homosexual guys have different things they like about the sex they're attracted to. And so, do, you know, other whatever other identifying um, gender you are, I but that just the act, and I mentioned queefing. Uh, I said it m- multiple times. I'm not. It's not one of the words I generally use. I'm not offended by it. I just feel that it's something outrageous said. They can, if they could do or say anything that's outrageous, that would outrage an adult, that they succeeded in some sense of breaking that power dynamic. Yeah, you can be in charge of my finances, my homestead, my vehicles, my schooling, the clothes I wear, but you cannot control your outrage. And I will deliver a fresh plate of outrage to you whenever I want. And this is my act of rebellion. For some, I think a lot of these things, it's their act of rebellion. And I think sometimes I would have to say, hey, listen, this is all well and good that you have this silly thing that you think people are attracted to at this time. And you may use it as an excuse or a descriptor or whatever you want. But I won't be, I won't, buy-in the outrage. I won't buy in. Just think about what you're saying you do and what they like and you think. Well, you think in 20 years that was cool. Okay? In 20 years when teenagers are talking about the things that are sticking up their ass... And trying to shove the laundry thing up their ass, you'll be outraged. And you'll think about, wow, I did this. They did a great bit on Saturday Night Live where a mother, it's Mother's Day, it was right before Mother's Day, so it was approximately uh, two weeks ago this Saturday. And it was a mother talking to a daughter, and she's yelling at her for coming home having a drink. And she she's yelling at the daughter, and then there's cut out, cutaways to her as in, a teenager doing the same things and worse, doing worse things than the mom. And she's in the com going back and forth, is talking to the daughter and then going back to their memories, blah blah blah. And then the father walks in and the father <laughs> comes back and <laughs> And says some things. It says something to the daughter. And then he, he goes back in his brain to what he was doing. And how he experienced his wife, mo- the girl's mother. And and it finally ended up with the grandmother coming in and backing up the mother. But the grandmother cuts away and seeing what she did in the 1940s or 1960s. You know, it was, you know, the mother was 80s. The mother was 90s Oh, so I feel so old when I hear about those things. And I think it's like the role, the role of children to rebel. That's not a new subject. It's not at all. It's not a new subject. But the, the concepts they come up with are new and interesting. And it's just that I get it. I get it. We need to be outraged and stuff like that. And I get they get me every so so often with the real stuff, not the stuff that's. Weird or anything like that. It's like, you're going where and you're staying over when? No. Okay? But when it's really weird or disgusting in some way, I'm thinking, ah, it's going And stupid. I still do stupid things. Why shouldn't a teenager do a couple of stupid things? I don't want to do anything stupid and dangerous or hurtful. You know, a stupid act could be good as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Sometimes it could hurt yourself because you're going to go and say, you said that and it's recorded and someone's going to... Well, they're going to probably take into account that you were 15 years old. As I said prior to other ones, I'm so glad the ease of recording in video and that stuff did not occur in my formative, formative years. So me being so public in my pronouncements. Now, imagine me doing it when I was younger. May, maybe it would have been better. Maybe it would have been I thought, oh, well, i got to be a little more reflective how, how I talk to the opposite sex, how I act and how I behave and maybe reflecting upon being a hypocrite. Then when I'm trying to be outrageous, I didn't do that when I was, I didn't necessarily do that when I was a teenager because I did it when I was younger. I was more, It's not the job of every teenager. I, in my preteens, I got out of there for a couple of years running around with my friends, drinking in the woods, doing stuff, smoking a little weed, and doing that with my cousins. So when I got to be 13 and 14, I started to buckle down because I wanted to go to college, to a a service college, one of the service academies. And uh, so I endeavored to do the straight and narrow so the outrageousness wasn't there for me then until I maybe maybe I never went to that place because I wasn't you know when you're from a a divorced family you don't necessarily have anybody to really need to be outrageous to you just want to be accepted by one of your parents that are separated and I worked out pretty good for me so I didn't really have to work that hard at all because everything was pretty copacetic in my upbringing I have to say that i So, I don't know how much of a hip- hypocrite I am. I know I'm always going to do things that acclaim a moral superiority or moral superiority understanding, maybe. And I'll be employing things that aren't necessarily a display of that, which is the definition of hypocrisy. So, I hope... I hope that clears the air for that. I'm not saying something you may know already. You may know that thing about yourself, but some of you may not. Who knows? Well, uh, it's my second episode this week. Next week, I'll probably be able to do two, uh, three, or me. I'll try to do three and maybe do a live one. For now, thank you and goodbye and have a great weekend. I'll talk to you later.
1: This man has just entered the gas price madness zone, pushed over the edge by skyrocketing gas prices. The remedy? Upside. The free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy.
2: Wait a minute. Did you just say there's a free app I can get that'll actually pay me cash back on every gallon of gas I buy?
1: Yes. Escape the gas price madness zone with the Upside app and earn real cash back on every gallon of gas you buy.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough of the theatrics. Just tell me more about this Upside app.
1: Okay, it's super easy. Just download the free app and use it whenever you buy gas. Upside users can earn hundreds of dollars in cash back.
2: Wow, thanks, announcer guy. I'm downloading the Upside app
3: now. Download the free Upside app to earn real cash back every time you buy use promo code minute for an extra 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first fill up you can cash out anytime just download the free upside app and use promo code minute for a 25 cents per gallon or more bonus on your first tank